the last two weeks and today we've been sharing in this journey of moving through the 12th chapter of Romans. And it's been a part of this overall journey, a larger vision we've called Vision 2020 that involves three primary components, caring for our people, enhancing our sustainability, and engaging our community. It has been a joy for me moving through this journey with you and this past week in two different gorgeous settings to be with two different groups of people from our church, first our staff and then our Vernery Sunday School class in moving deeper in the case of our staff with Romans 12 and with the Vernery class using the book, the letter of Philippians as our, as our guide. In both settings, I have come to a, a new appreciation, which I'll say more about in just a moment, of the multitude of gifts that we have in this body of Christ and how thankful I am for the incredible people we get to serve alongside. And by the way, uh, Eliel, uh, in his song, Eliel, for those of you that don't know, is the Daniel Solberg of Fresh Start. And you see why we love him down in our fellowship hall in the early mornings with remarkable gifts. His song that he shared a moment ago about mothers makes me think of my own mother and the gifts that she has and the gifts that is a reminder for all of us of the, the journey that we're on and what God has given us. Let me start by just sharing one of the gifts that my mother taught me early on, with her, this great gift of hospitality, that she had just a real sense of compassion, that that hospitality gift was not specifically, specifically mentioned in our 12th chapter, but it is one that continues to resonate as a need in all communities everywhere. And she met that need in our little community of Signal Mountain, Tennessee, when my sister was little, I was off at school, and my mother, as a part of this gift of hospitality, always wanted to make sure people who had been sick or had been in the hospital knew they were loved. And her way of showing this was, like a lot of people on Sigal Mountain, she would take to their house a jello salad. It would be in a glass dish, and it would be covered with plastic wrap. She mass-produced these things with red jello and fruit cocktail all mixed in, and people loved it. But it was also this, this gift of we're thinking about you, we love you, we're concerned about you. One day as she was displaying this gift of hospitality with a jello salad, she was taking it to a family. My sister, who was about three or four years old, was in the back seat of the car. Mom had put the jello salad down on the floor of the back seat of the car, drove to the house, got my sister out, got the jello salad, carried it to the front door, and just after she rang the doorbell and heard footsteps coming to the door, she looked down. Jello salad has a particular texture to it, which I'm sure to the feet of a little girl who's four years old felt really good. And my mother looked down and saw carefully put in each upper corner of that jello salad two cute little four, four-year-old feet. 
Prince. The door opened, and the person said, oh, Diane, we're so glad you're here. And my mother said, here's a Jell-O salad cut around the feet. I hope you feel better. She was mortified, and still to this day, when I go to CBF meetings, my mother was a founding, with my father, a founding member of CBF, there are still people who talk about jello salad with feet prints in them. My mother continued to be hospitable even after my father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. She would put him in the car with the jello salad and would go visit people. As far as I know, he never stepped in the jello salad, but she would carefully help him up to the door and visit people, even when struggling with a man who didn't quite know where he was. The amazing gifts that God gives to us are listed in part in this 12th chapter, and they're sandwiched strategically between two key phrases. Let's, let's be careful and listen to these phrases now. The first starts in this first section that Paul read. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. For those of us who've grown up in church, we've heard these words often. We take for granted what this means, but if you didn't grow up in church, this could be somewhat jarring. And if we pause for a moment and think about what this is saying, it's a tall order. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. This is your spiritual worship. If you think about what that's saying, it is actually a daunting imperative. Because a lot of us in this safe space, if we're honest, don't like feeling vulnerable about who we are. And what this is saying is, present yourself everything you are and everything God has made you. Give of yourself to the service of God. And many of us would say, that's a frightening proposition because I'm not worthy of presenting myself. I've been told all my life I'm not good enough. And the thing that this scripture is wrestling with in the middle between this and the other end of the spectrum, this other part, the last section that Paul read, let love be genuine. Now, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice and figuring out how to love genuinely is hugely difficult. This is hard work. It's even for some scary work. In the middle is this fascinating wrestling with, in the scripture, how to get there. Because some of us who are leaning in the direction of I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, we overcompensate in our feelings of vulnerability and insufficiency by looking at other people and saying, you're not good enough. You are insufficient. Covering over how I really feel 
about me. Projecting on somebody else my own feeling of inadequacy. And part of what the scripture seems to be lifting out is by the grace given to me by God. God has looked past my insufficiency. I've come to the place where I realize I'm not what I wish I were, but I am what God has made me. And the gifts I have are enough because God is using me, Paul says, in ways I could not have possibly imagined. All the things I feel paranoid about pale in comparison to what I'm now realizing God is doing in me and through me. The temptation in all of us to talk about other people and look down on other people is not a commentary on those other people. It's a commentary on our inability to recognize what God has done in us. It's an amazing thing to hear these words, words that we wrestled with in our staff retreat as we used Romans 12 throughout the three days we were together in learning about one another's gifts and actually taking a personality inventory. Some of you may have done the Enneagram before and these nine fascinating different personality types that, that all of us in some way or another uh, fit into and recognizing in each other on our staff and more broadly in our church the amazing people we get to share life with, that we get to be involved with, that we don't have to talk about or talk down about, but instead can celebrate and give thanks for and recognize in people that we may not even understand and possibly don't even like that God has done something beautiful in them and is using them in good and redemptive ways. One of the scriptures, one of the parts of the scripture that several of us struggled with in our staff retreat was this one. So that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And several stumbled on that word perfect and talked about, how can I be perfect? I can't be perfect. That's too much pressure. I, I, I don't understand how in the world I can be expected to be perfect. And then we look at it more carefully and we realize perfect can be translated in a lot of different ways, complete, whole, or enough. And it's not talking about me or you. It's talking about God's will. That's what's good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, what God has made you, the gifts that God has given you, the way God is hoping to use you, the plan that God is hoping you will buy into, the purpose for your life, why you are here, is good and acceptable and perfect. You are enough. What you have to give is enough. What a liberating thing it is to recognize that and realize you don't have to talk down on other people. You don't have to talk about other folks. You don't have to point at other people and say, 
If only they would be better. Instead, you can say, they too are enough. What they have is good and right and acceptable, even though I may not understand them. I can learn to appreciate them. It's an amazing shift that Paul is trying to help that early church in Rome, and the scripture still today is trying to train us in how to view the people that God has placed in our lives. The great gift of moving from our staff retreat to the Vernery Sunday School class retreat, also in a gorgeous setting with beautiful people, and working together in similar ways with another passage in Philippians. In looking around the room and listening to stories and hearing from individuals in that class say things like, I was told that my husband and I should begin working with young adults. But I never felt comfortable with that idea. I didn't feel drawn to young adults. I could work with children, but I felt completely inadequate with young adults. And the person that told her she should work with young adults, she and her husband, was persistent. Because as she said to begin with, I said no. I put her off. But she hung in there, and she kept asking me, and she kept saying, I feel like you would be good at this. And finally, after about six weeks, she acknowledged, I gave in. I couldn't hold out any longer. And for the next 40 years, my husband and I were blessed by young adults who still call and send cards and come by and thank us for the ways that God used us to bless their lives. I didn't feel like I was gifted in that way, but somehow God used me in ways I had not imagined. Looking around this safe space we know as sanctuary, this place where, of all places, we can be ourselves. And we can acknowledge in this safe space, I wish I hadn't said that. I shouldn't have done that. I wish I could do that over again. And in this safe space of grace, this of all places is that spot where we can acknowledge, well, that's why we have this thing called grace. And that's why we have this opportunity to start all over again. Now, grace can be a little slippery, and this is something else that we acknowledged at the Verdery class retreat. We also need gifted people in our lives who, in part, give us grace. But as I acknowledged to that group and had acknowledged back to me, I had a lady in my life named Betty Alverson who also was like a mother to me at Furman University, and Betty Alverson, also known as Miss A, took the great grace that my mother and father and my church and many teachers and Sunday school teachers and folks, coaches, gave to me coming up, and I got to Furman, and Miss A wasn't so big on grace. She was big on, you can do better. 
Don't stop there. God has given you gifts. You are wasting what God has given you. You can do and you should do better. That's not enough. We need people in our lives to give us grace and remind us that we are enough. And then with Paul in the 12th chapter wrestling with both ends of this spectrum, we also need people in our lives to say, you can do better. You've got the tools. You've got the gifts. You can be hospitable. You can be welcoming. You can be more than you imagined because God is using you in ways that you don't even realize. This list of gifts that this 12th chapter shares, one after another, very different. All part of this body of Christness, where if one of us doesn't fulfill the giftedness that we have, the body suffers. We're not, as a body, all that we can and should be if all of us aren't working together and utilizing the giftedness that God has so graciously in abundance offered us. So we can care for our people. We can enhance our sustainability and pass our faith on to the next generation. We can be good and even better stewards of the gifts that God has given us here. We can be generous in our giving in our loving, in our accepting. And we can engage our community. Part of being gifted people in a body of Christ is not to just be enclosed in these walls and sit around and say, aren't we special? But the very nature of giftedness is this engagement in the broader world where you and I are blessed to be able to move from this place and having felt nurtured and loved and accepted and welcomed and then sent beyond these walls into our community to engage, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. The Bible calls evangelion, simply telling what God has done in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. It's called good news. It's called evangelism. It's called simply telling our story of faith to people who need and want to hear. Let us join together in this beautiful vision that Romans 12 challenges us to. For us, a vision 2020 that looks off into the future but is very much present tense to care for our people, to enhance our sustainability, to engage our community, not for our own selves, but to the glory of God in the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, may it be so. Amen.